Hello and welcome to the Good Mood Podcast. This is episode 45. We're really getting along now with our episode count. My name is Dr. Talia Marcajani. I'm a naturopathic doctor based in Toronto, Ontario, and this is uh, the Good Mood Podcast. This episode is Beyond Digestion with Dr. Laura Brown. So Laura wrote a book called Beyond Digestion, which is the episode name, so you won't forget, so you'll pick up the book and read it because, you know, you'll love this episode so much. So we've talked digestion on the Good Mood podcast before. We've talked the structure and function of the vagus nerve and how putting your hands on can help diagnose and treat disease with my colleague, Dr. David Miller. We've talked the gut microbiome and your trillions of little friends with Dr. Kim Bretz. Those were two episodes really dedicated to digestion, but we've also weaved in and out of the conversation on the gut and the vagus nerve and the mind-brain-body-gut connection with various other guests. But we can never talk too much digestion. And as Dr. Laura shows us, there are multiple, multiple angles at which we can examine, play with, and learn about our beautiful guts. And this is what Laura talks about in her book, the spiritual, mental, emotional, physical, and structural elements of gut health. Her book, I think, is an exploration. First on the science of the gut, its structure, the microbiome, and how they relate to our health, and then how our gut and our mind interact, and what comes first, the gut or the mind? A lot of research is showing that it might be the gut that comes first. And then to how our gut might actually be our link to the spiritual world. So stay tuned because it can get really cool. But this is the beauty of naturopathic medicine, which I believe we highlight in this conversation. There are no protocols, no routine, rote methods to healing. We assess, we do detective work, we respond, we guide, and we play. There's no linear path. It all depends. <laughs> if you've ever asked me a question of your health, you know that that is always, almost always the answer. The dreaded depends. <laughs> but depends isn't just a diaper of an answer, collecting the fetal, fecal matter of uncertainty. Even when it comes to the gut, depends is actually a very beautiful answer. Think of what depends was designed for. It was designed to hold, <laughs> to catch without any leakage. It means that we start with you and we go from there. And where we go depends on all the factors we're holding and examining and curious about. And Laura really does that, both with her book and this conversation. There's so much to consider and we let the conversation meander and through this meandering, I believe we really allow her wisdom to emerge. And I'm really excited um, I was excited to receive her wisdom, and I really hope that you'll be too. Okay, so a bit of bio. So Dr. Laura M. Brown is a registered naturopathic doctor with a functional medicine approach. She focuses on stimulating the body's natural mechanisms to repair damage and rebuild health. She's a HeartMath certified practitioner, a level two certified gluten-free practitioner, and holds the designation of ADAPT, trained practitioner from Cresser Institute the only functional medicine and ancestral health training company. Titled Miss Teen Ontario at age, age 16, Dr. Brown battled many health challenges of her own, ultimately prevailing through naturopathic medicine. Personally, she writes, gardens, hikes, and entertains on 20 beautiful acres in the heart of Ontario, Canada. And you can learn more about her from her website and Instagram, which I've included in the show notes. 
So listen in. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Let me know what you think. And if you really love us and want to give something back, I would love it if you could like and review us on Apple or whatever podcast platform lets you like and review or just follow, share the episode, comment on the Instagram post and show your love. It's hard to receive, it's hard to give uh, feedback on a podcast platform because you're usually reading or listening while your hands are busy doing something else. If you're like me and that's the way you listen to podcasts, you're doing dishes or something while listening. But if you could leave some feedback, that would be amazing. So I hope you listen, you love this (laughs) and listen. Yeah, this is impressive, Talia. I'm really impressed. <laughs> so welcome, Laura. So yeah, we we were classmates at CCNM back in the good old days. <laughs> Class of 2014. Yeah. Not so long ago. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's not. It's like only only a karmic cycle, seven years. And um, yeah, Chinese medicine cycle, you know. Um and uh, you wrote a book. You wrote a book, Beyond Digestion, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did. I did. Yeah, it's still sinking in. Yes. What, so can we talk about like what led you to write this book? We'll see where that question takes us. Absolutely. Um, interesting process because it's been poking me for a little while. And it's one of those things. It's like when I came into naturopathic medicine. Obviously, this is my second career. And it poked me for a while and I kept shelving it going, no, I can't do it. No. And so eventually I did it. And then, you know, you get into practice, you start seeing things and you're working on your own health, obviously, because I've had a lot of health issues of my own that ultimately naturopathic medicine have really, really been helpful. And um, so that's been good, but also you start attracting patients into your clinic that have similar issues. You know, lo and behold, they show up. And they teach you. And I'm so grateful for all the, the patients that have taught me things. And, you know, over, I think, I'm not sure when the idea of a book started poking at me, but a little bit of the ways into it, it, it started to poke me. And I was following some of the, um, some, some things online that were, okay, you can write a book and here's how you do it. And I'm like, I have no idea how to write a book. I have no clue. This is a you know, ludicrous idea. Um, so I started, you know, I would write my pod, my, um, my blog posts and articles and things like that. And I, you know, would always have that feeling, no, I'm not good enough to, to do any of that. But then it came really strong. So summer of 2019, I would say fall of 2018 ahead of that, the, the feeling started to get stronger. And I remember in the, um, the winter of 2018, actually doing like a, a visionary process and all of the things on that visionary process had come to fruition except for um, writing. And on the day that I'd done that visionary process, actually there was in the sky a cloud that was shaped as a feather. And that was really weird. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> like this, is, this is, yeah, like a quilt. Okay, I'm like, oh, that's nice. And um, so then things just started getting stronger and stronger in the feeling of it. And then by the um, summer of 2019, I was like, okay, either I'm going to do this or I'm going to like just say that's it. You know, it's not for me. 
was either, you know, get at it or forget about it. So there was a, a group, a publishing group that came to Toronto and um, they were offering a process to help guide you in writing your book. So it's called Scribe. And I thought, okay, it's coming to Toronto. I have no excuse. I don't have to travel. So I went, I went and, and did that. And then I started writing in September, 2019. And, and that carried me forward um, through until uh, when the book released in February of 2021. And I knew it was going to be about an 18 month process. So I was okay with that. It takes, I would say like four to six months to kind of get the rough draft out. Um, for me anyways, because it was new for me, a uh, new process, it's learning, learning, and then some time to edit, lots of editing time, and then time to get it all polished and you know, put the lipstick and polish on for um, for the market. And that brought us to the February. And then now it's released. When was the release and date? Now, yeah. Uh, the 23rd, yes. Um, Which was really interesting because the 23rd, um, so much happened in our family. Uh, it was my sister's birthday. Um, my, my birthday. Daughter really, your birthday. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah. Your birthday. <laughs> uh, my daughter released her first single on um, on the satellite radio. So she's a singer-songwriter. And mm-hmm. uh, that happened. Um, my son moved. I mean, there was just so much going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really interesting. Just a big pivotal day. Yeah, big energy. Big energized day. But as we know, these things aren't ever just one point in time. It's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's just a part of the process, part of the continuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like this repeat message that you need to get this out there in book form, because although, you know, the information exists through you, either through the work with your patients or your blog posts, sometimes it's like, you know, we're called to a specific medium because the people that we're destined to work with or who need the message need to consume it in that form, you know, so possibly your audience is like energetically calling a book out of you, you know? <laughs> Maybe so. Maybe yeah. so. I like the idea that mm-hmm. um, because we know there's tons of books out on microbiome health and gut health and the gut brain access and, you know, fixing autoimmune diseases. There's so much out there that um, goes down all the different paths. And what, what was calling to me is, and what I'm often like saying I'm interested in is how are we knit together? Like looking, but truly holistically at, you know, looking at the physical, looking at the emotional, looking at the cognitive, looking at the spiritual, and how are we knit together? And how does gut health connect to the mind, body, and soul? How does it? And that was the challenge put in front of me um, because I'd worked a lot physically on my gut. I have a lot of food sensitivities and just really sensitive there. Yeah, I'd worked on the physical, you know, done lots of work on the emotional. Um, and then the cognitive, you know, how we think and, you know, our circadian rhythms and our cycles. And then I was kind of at the spiritual, you know, how does it, okay, the spiritual, okay, well, how does the gut connect to the spirit? Well, that's a far fetch. And actually went kind of down that I'm like, Ooh, okay, there might be something there. So that was, um, interesting as well. And then when I finished writing, writing the book and editing it, um, I launched it into a whole new other growth spurt, um, that, uh, it was really more on trusting myself and and uh, trusting that spiritual guidance that uh, that comes along and just saying, hey, maybe there's something there. Then until I fully trust and fully become one with that, um, I will have persistent things in the gut. And then there's another side that's like, you know what? Maybe those things are just your gift to how 
you know, how, you know, we, we all have these gifts that have the double-edged sword for their teach us, but they're also there as we learn to teach others. And maybe that's what it is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the best books start off with a question that the writer doesn't know the answer to yet. And it seems like that was that way with you, that you knew a lot about gut health from your own experience or clinical experience. But how it all tied together was something that you were finding out as you were writing. Because, mm. yeah, what was the process like? What What is so your book is sort of taking the angle of holistic gut health. Like how do we connect gut at the center to all these pieces of our existence, like our physical health and wellness, our spiritual, mental, emotional. Yeah. Can you, can you walk us through a bit about what the, what Beyond Digestion is all about? Absolutely. Um, start at the beginning and it's very logical. And that's where I started in my approach to things was very logical or evidence-based medicine, you know, looking for all of those, um, all of those things that are supported with, you know, research and, studies and you know proof scientific proof and backing that up so that because this is what we need in in the realm of you know quote medicine as um as conventional terms would would imply so it was going through all that and that was very much the physical aspect of it and then um and then i was going through then i kind of go into the emotional aspect because food or mood what comes first People have a lot of issues with cravings. They have an emotional attachment with food. We often feel that food will satisfy those uh, emotional needs within us. And to some extent, we know that food, because we know, you know, food can promote dopamine, you know, food can promote GABA, you know, and then uh, just looking there. And then it was looking in at the cognitive side and um, our sleep rhythm cycles and the whole circadian rhythm and all the, the, the zeitgebers, I'm not sure if I'm saying that properly, but it's a German word for what affects our biological clocks. Mm-hmm. And the fact that our gut microbiome has its own clock and it works with ours and it works with our immune system. And you know, the fact that 70 to 80% of our immune system is in our gut, but then we're, we have the gut brain access and where's that going on? Um, so going through the different layers, I, call, I, I often refer to it in the book as peeling the onion because we're constantly peeling that onion. And when we get to the, um, the soul part, we, we must be connected into something greater than ourselves, something, something that is of our soul, but the connected to the, you know, the holy and divine spirit that needs to come in with us. And we all you know, say the healing is truly within. But as, as we allow, just like we take in food and we digest our food, that makes ourselves in our body, right? That gives us the nutrients to make our physical component. But then as we take in spirit, that is also giving us life. And that is also growing us from the inside out. And we can see that as as simple as, you know, if you think of an emotional or spiritual connection, even if it's just like with your dog, right? My dog loves to sit and hold paws, right? You've got to hold her paw and look her in the eye. And she really needs to connect, right? You know, that releases oxytocin for them and maybe for us too, but it, you know, produces the body chemicals that we also have to digest. Um, and connecting with spirit, things are growing within us and then growing out. And we think of sometimes even as 
um, if you're familiar with, like our auras or our different, you know, parts of our, our layers of being um, from different types of, you know, maybe even metaphysical perspectives that we have to grow from the inside out. So it's almost like, you know, when we're peeling the onion, we're peeling off those outside layers, but it's constantly growing within, you know, like things are growing and expanding outward, but we have to be able to peel and let go the outer layers in order to be that continual renewed being. And we do this through so many different aspects. And then I take it back to, you know, our gut is the primary sensing organ. Um, before we were upright citizens, our, you know, we had like our, you know, what we call our monkey brain or a crocodile brain that does, you know, just those um, very rudimentary things to make sure we're, our heart's beating and breathing and that type of thing. But our gut um, actually is our primary sensing organ. We actually sense things through things. I mean, why would, why would we say, you know, our gut feelings, you know, or why would we get butterflies in our tummy and this, this type of thing? Um, we do truly sense through our gut. And I, and I mean, we create 90% of serotonin in our gut. Mm. Now we have 22 different receptors of serotonin in our body and it does all sorts of different things more than just mood. You know, it stimulates the digestive tract, that type of thing. We make um, 400 times more melatonin in the gut than the brain. And okay, so it's doing more than just, you know, bio, you know biurnal rhythms. It's actually very healing to the gut cells helps to turn over there so it has some multi-purpose but we also know that um, we have like GABA made in our gut and there's so many different things like the hormones we know that our microbiome is responsible for, for making vitamins and making minerals and minerals available to our body and we know that we have to work in coordination with our microbiome hmm. um, so sometimes I wonder is that microbiome you know is is that part of you know the God center I don't know but it, it seems rather interesting to explore. Um, but it certainly can create and interacts with our immune system. And um, it, um, it does so much for us. We have that, that brain access. And we know that when we, you know, we know that the, the vagal nerve running along the brain and the gut transports a lot of this information. But um, we, we see this all happening. And again, just back into the layers of what's going on. It, it seems that the gut is really what knits us together. Mm. It's really On interesting. So many different levels. It's like, well, it's like the interface between us and the outside world. But it's interesting to think of it as there, it's an interface between us and the spiritual world. And I'm just relating it to, maybe we'll just get super metaphysical super fast, but relating it to even the idea of like most psychedelic plant medicines are ingested. And so th through the ingestion of compounds we can access spirit but you know even yeah like our mood is is regulated through the the bacteria in our gut you know and the nervous system in our gut and you know through various other podcasts where we talk about the gut and you can never have enough because there's always a different angle you know like the the spiritual and mental emotional angle and um our vagus nerve is mostly afferent so mostly like it's 80 percent from gut to brain like mm -hmm. Dave Miller calls it, what does he say? Butt to brain. <laughs> Which yeah. is so interesting because we think, you know, and often in practice, I'm always sort of, you know, you'll always anxiety or mood issues and gut stuff go hand in hand in like 90% of people. And you're always sort of, I'll sort of go with whatever's most 
of a concern for my patients. So if they're mainly complaining about mood issues, we'll kind of go that way. They're mainly complaining about gut, we'll go that way. But when I remember about that vagal nerve track going from butt to brain, 80, like 80% of it's like a highway where 80% of the cars are moving in one direction. We have to think maybe we should always start with the gut, you know, if there's any sort of gut stuff, or even if there's not, because we know gut symptoms don't always manifest themselves as physical symptoms that we would recognize as arising from the gut too, you know? So that is so true. Yeah. So true. And I mean, it's right to, to find what window of opportunity that the patient is ready on a conscious or subconscious level to open up to because, um, you, you know, the body will tell us or the patient will tell us in front of us what, you know, where they're ready to open up from. And that could be from approaching it from the mood point. It could be from approaching it from, you know, gut health point. But always in the back of my mind, what I've learned, especially when I get stumped with cases, you know, it's like, wow, we're really not seeing the progress that I, you know, that I'd expect or I'd like to see or I feel is possible. And it's always like, oh, the gut. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then it'd be like, Oh, goodness. And then now lately after writing the book, I'm like, yeah, silly girl, don't even not think about it. Right. Always think about it right. and see what needs to be done. See what's happened because we know that so much affects gut health and we're seeing a ton of it. I mean, it's just the, the, I mean, the research is exploding from a scientific point of view, but we're also seeing more and more patients showing up with issues with digestion. And, you know, part of the words beyond digestion, you know, stress is a huge thing. And when we take things on that are beyond our ability to digest, it does us harm. Mm. And, you know, I think we have to die. We're digesting, yes, our food, but we're digesting environmental toxins. We're digesting, the, you know, hormones. We're digesting environmental hormones or xenobiotics. We're digesting, um, with the um, emotional chemicals from stress. I mean, this whole pandemic is beyond our digestion, right? A lot of people are very stressed and very on edge because they just can't fathom what's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's more than they can take on. Mm -hmm. And it's you know, a lot of reframing, a lot of stress management as a part of calming, yes, that vagal nerve, right? Because the vagal nerve, you know, innervates so much of our digestive tract. And if we're always in that, flight or fright, right? I call it flight or fright sometimes, <laughs> fight or flight, but also fright. Um, it, it can it can cause issues. Mm. And, you know, so it's always thinking, oh, how is the gut responding? Oh, okay, what's what's going on there? What's happening? And, and trying to um, keep that in, in, if not in the forefront, in the back of our mind. Mm. It helps us get away from that analytical ruminative brain if we tap into our third brain our gut brain it's more of a like you said like an intuitive brain you know it's more of a you often talk like where's the truth coming from is it coming from your head your heart or your gut you know and I think very rarely people will answer that the truth comes from your head <laughs> you know I think so the more we can kind of tap into and be aware of our gut, it may help guide us through times of uncertainty, you know? Um, I, yeah, I love how you mentioned the gut, the heart and the head, because I talk about this too, because I always say the gut first senses, 
Okay, it's our primary sensing organ. Then the heart feels. The heart feels those emotional chemicals that, that have been created and it's feeling it. And the heart has to, you know, you have to allow the heart to feel, right? And this is something that I've had to learn, um, you know, to open up that, open up the heart because, you know, through all of the, you know, my past experiences, it, it, re it really had, um, it really had, 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 I guess, gone into hiding in some regards. I wasn't truly feeling things. Now I'm feeling things and that's, you know, good and, and challenging. But I think the gut senses, the heart feels, but then the brain tries to make sense. It tries to put words, right? Because we know our left brain, logical language, left logical language. That's what tries to take as we're bringing up from the gut through to the heart, it's going into the right brain. And we know our right brain is connected to creativity and creativity is ultimately the divine because divine is creation. Then, so then it's jumping over and it's trying to make that connection over to the left side of the brain and put some logic language uh, or label even if we're going to get, you know, into our L's, um, a label on what's going on. And it's only doing our best to describe our experience and our sensation of what we're feeling, right? And I love listening to, to little kids describe, you know, how they're feeling. Because they'll be like, oh, it's a, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an uncomfortable, you know, feeling that I just, you know, I feel warm or I feel cold or I feel wormy, you know, like use all the great words that, that we shut out because we need to have the logical stuff. Right? We need to have that? something that, that <laughs> makes sense so that we're not embarrassed by what comes out. But I love when patients sit in front of me and I'm like, just explain what you're experiencing. Like, what's the feeling? And I'm like, don't try to make it, don't dress it up. Just keep it raw because this is a language of the body and we know that it needs to come out. But you and I also know, Talia, that if we're not expressing our emotions, if we're not allowing that gut to sense, the heart to feel, and us to kind of process and act, you know, you know, and accordingly to appropriately express, um, then, then things get locked into our tissues. And this isn't a far out concept because emotions are chemicals, right? Epinephrine, norepinephrine, GABA, serotonin, you know, emotions are chemicals. And if those chemicals aren't properly um, degraded and digested, then they get stored in the connective tissue, in the fat cells and things mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. um, and that's where we see, you know, disease happening. Yeah, it's like being able to to take in our thoughts and emotions, digest them, process them in the way that the gut digests food, you know, like a lot of us are in also moments of rest from all of the mental activity. Like we want to rest our gut, sort of, you know, similar processes happening or parallel processes where we we take in food, we process and digest that food, we assimilate the food, we pass the waste or the leftovers. <laughs> and then there's periods of time where we're not digesting, we're not consuming. Same thing with the thoughts. But I think we're also just, it's like we're at this 24-7 buffet, just ramming more and more and more into our heads. <laughs> there's no time to like assimilate it and process it and you know, so stuff kind of gets backlogged or put, it's like we're, we all have mental constipation. <laughs> it's, 
Well, it's true, right? Like it's beyond our digestion. It's, mm-hmm. it's we take on too much, and we're and I mean, why do we fast? We you know we fast we fast you know overnight, but sometimes these extended fasts. Why do why do monks and priests and um, you know why do they talk about in faith aspects the the opportunity to fast? You fast so that you can connect with the spirit. You're no longer digesting your food. Now you can digest emotion spirit you can bring that in and be able to digest that mm-hmm. so sometimes you know we're, we've been living in in this society that's been go 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 and sometimes it you know it's too much and when and when people have sat quiet over the past year and had more time on their own some people are are not comfortable with that because now they're they're faced with oh, I, I've got to digest this, right? Things come up and they're like, oh, and they're still trying to push the skeletons in the closet. Um, and that can be, mm-hmm. that can be harmful too, right? Because the closet gets full. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we need this time. And I think, you know, generation over generation, we learn things. And, you know, as we learned in, in, in school, I don't, I don't, I forget who said it. It was, I forget who it was, but in 10 years, everything we learned you know, there'll be a certain percentage of it, whether it was half of it or something, that, that won't be applicable anymore, mm-hmm. right? But in that period of time, we had to trust what we know because that's what we knew. We can only ever trust what we know at the time mm-hmm. and do the best we can with that. Mm-hmm. And we can't judge that, but we also have to be willing to let some things go as we move forward because, you know, we, we, change, we change in the body. Our cells turn over every 10 years. We're a new, we're a new human. And we, you know, right? So what we do and what we feed it emotionally, physically, and spiritually um, will contribute to who we are 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. Our cells and our gut turn over every three to five days. Right? Not all at once. Same thing with our body. It's not like we, we totally go down to ashes and now up comes the phoenix of a new person, um, metaphorically sometimes. But um you know, we're, we're constantly turning over, we're shuffling off, you know, skin cells, gut cells, eyelashes fall out, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's like, there's always a chance for a do-over. You always have a, <laughs> you always have another chance at renewal. Well, you're, well, you're more accurately constantly in a state of renewal. And as you're talking about, you know, everything we learn in 10 years will be obsolete. I mean, I'm just reflecting back on school and, we got little sprinklings of microbiome information, but even at the time it, it hadn't snowballed to the extent that it's relevant right now in the research, you know? So I remember, and it, it's funny because all this time through billions of years, we always had a microbiome. There's always a microbiome. We just didn't really talk about it until five years ago, even, you know? <laughs> and, and so we are just like stumbling upon the truth as we go. And then we're like, Oh, I thought this was this, but it's not. Okay, throw that away. Keep what moving forward. Oh, look what I feel. We're like stumbling upon buried treasure. Like we're just sort of uncovering the treasure yeah. that already exists. Yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I love that. That's good. That's good. Can you say a bit more about the the gut being our, our primary sensing organ? You mentioned that. And I wonder if you could unpack that a bit or get into that a little bit more. What intrigues you? Hmm. Tell me what intrigues you about that. About it? Yeah. What comes to you when I say that? Yeah, I guess that I I'm like I immediately have a 
an, a visual of a baby putting everything in their mouth. Um, and, you know, we don't do that anymore because we were told <laughs> probably as babies, it's dirty, don't, t- don't put that in your mouth. Um, so we would take it in visually. But even dogs will eat something, move it around in their mouth so they can smell it to really understand the world. And there's something instinctual about wanting to ingest something to uh, to make it part of us or to understand it better. And I think it maybe goes back to what we said before about the gut being the interface between ourselves and the outside world. That's the way, that's the, the membrane, the boundary. And we have all these structures in place within our gut that will, that will sample things that are passed through it, um, that, will in, that will assimilate, take things in, reject things. Yeah. Is that what you meant by Absolutely. it? Yes. And, you know, yeah, so let's go there first. Um, like we sample, you know, 80% of our environment through, through our gastrointestinal tract. And we're thinking of this too between our mouth and our bum. Right. And it's really, we're really like, you know, that proverbial donut that what's inside of us is really outside of us. And that's where our primary defenses are for our immune system, right? 70, 80% of the immune system is there, as you're saying, to sample things, to test things out. Is this safe? Is it not safe? Um, but also, um, we rely on the microbiome. 90%, 90%, sorry, 99% of our genes are our microbiome. 1% of us is our human genes right so if you can influence your microbiome you know like hey hello wake up call that's going to influence a ton of things in your life and when the microbiome is off that's going to affect how you're functioning Mm -hmm. so uh we need we need these guys down there and with we know antibiotics will clear them out no i'm not anti-drug but i do talk about drugs in my book on how different drugs affect the microbiome because antimicrobials will offset the balance. Now, sometimes we need to because we have things that are, that we need, we need the hammer, right? We need to pull out the hammer to, to really hit things on the head and, and reset what's going on. But then are we following that with probiotics and caring for the gut? Are we eating in a way that feeds the microbiome so that uh, we're not just feeding ourselves, we're feeding these bugs in our gut. What do they like? Well, they love things with fiber, right? So they can make all those nice short chain fatty acids and short chain fatty acids and protect us um they keep us healthy they make you know they help make us you know vitamins and minerals and things like that as i talked about before Mm -hmm. um so we are sampling a ton of our environment physically that way you know through our gastrointestinal tract so lots of things from that perspective and relying on the microbiome to work with our immune system and with the microbiomes out of balance and obviously you know things start to dominate a bit of a dominant effect we see that with leaky gut we see that with and it goes, you know, what's affecting your gut? You know, we think of, you know, where were we vaginally born or C-section? Where we breastfed? Where, you know, where did we live? Did we grow up on a farm where we're sampling the dirt and the dog hair and, you know, all of that? You know, what what are we eating? What's on our food? You know, are there glyphosates on our food? How is the phosphate, you know, overload affecting our system? You know, you know, should we eat organic? That's kind of part of it. Okay, well, what sprays? What are those toxins doing? Mm-hmm. you know, as we're ingesting things. Uh, what drugs are we taking? We know that even when you're taking more, you know, five or more drugs, the microbiome shifts mm-hmm. with any drug to help 
break it down. Mm -hmm. the, the families of micro of bugs that need to break that medication down will upregulate so that we can adjust with that. Uh, we also know that you know things like SSRIs or antidepressants and um, antibiotics; these all have an antimicrobial action. Uh, we also know that you know the, the first control pill um, can have a bit of an, an, an interesting reaction. And there's a reason why we don't take, you know, why when you take antibiotics that it can put the use of the birth control pill redundant, right? We always say, "Oh, are you on the pill?" You know. When you're taking these antimicrobials, use a condom, that type of thing, because it's going to deplete the effectiveness of the pill. They knew that. Um, they also knew that the pill depletes our multi minerals and our B vitamins. So that if you're on the pill, you should be supplementing just to off balance that. You know, we know that level thyroxine, and lots of people have thyroid issues, and you know, level thyroxine, that increases our susceptibility to small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Does that mean that we stop taking that? No, not necessarily, but maybe we need to be more aware of that and every once in a while do a little tidy up or a little, you know, a little work on the gut to make sure that we're supporting it properly. Our genetics make a difference. Some people don't make um, enough of the FUT2 or they have a SNP in the FUT2. And with that, um, they're, they're more challenged to uh, you know, retain a healthy microbiome. So they likely need to supplement long, you know, long-term with probiotics. Mm. That's interesting. Stress I've, effects. Sorry, go ahead. I was just saying that's interesting. I haven't seen it framed that, like I haven't heard that. And that makes sense because there are the people who tend to do a dose of probiotics, feel great, lasts. Others that just sort of runs through them. Like, you know, water off a camel's back. Is that even an analogy? But it sort of just like flows through. And so they're always like always feel a little bit better on a probiotic. Um, and that's interesting that there's this genetic reason for that, or potentially genetic component to that. Yeah. And our food, right? I mean, we used to eat a lot of fermented foods because that's how we made our food last, right? That's how we preserved it. And it's, you know, it's how we survived through some of the, the winters or the harsher climates. And now, you know, we don't take that. And I have to admit, like, I mean, I never, you know, never took much of that. And we know like people think, oh, yogurt, but a lot of the yogurt's just like sugar and goop. It's not, there's, there's not enough probiotic. Mm. Yeah. Maybe a kefir that's not sweetened, right? And right. I think kombucha, well, kombucha can have some different things in the SCOBY that we're not always, you know, if the gut is not healthy, that can actually make things worse. Um, yeah, so I sometimes I hold like off on them. A couple of weeks ago, was, I was like, I'm going to make my own kombucha again. And it turned and I didn't see it. And I was like, why is my gut really off? <laughs> it took a while to haul the ship back on track again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. But um, but sometimes these things don't even taste good to us until we get to the point. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. So there's so much that affects the gut that way. But then also you do yoga, right? Are you yoga certified? Mm, doing uh, yoga teacher training right now, but it's been something I've been I've done for so long. And it's sort of my sort of this thing where I'm like, I think everybody should do yoga. I can't see how, you know, it's just it, flexibility in general, you know, but because flexibility prevents injury, keeps tendons healthy, muscular health. And, you know, you can just do, you're taller when you do, you know, or some sort of well-rounded exercise regime. So for me, yoga, just a simple all-in-one package where there's strength, flexibility, stamina various things but 
yeah, I do yoga. <laughs> yeah, so it's a lot of stretching and things like that. But then you also learn, you know, about the different um, the different chakras, right, and the mm-hmm. solar plexus. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So the energetics of of the solar plexus, and I think solar, soul, that's where our souls are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. I, just, I smiled at that when I thought of that one thing. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. It's so yeah, long. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't but it know is. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I forget. Well, I mean, yeah, the sun heart connection, you know, and then there, and then that's really where the warmth is in the body, the burner, the, the heat center. Yeah. That solar plexus is uh, our will. You know, a lot of people struggling with willpower fatigue or decision fatigue or just, not feeling sunny you know like there's nothing sort of shining in their bodies and their lives that like dark cloud the weariness the overwhelm the congestion is so common in people you know so to shine the light heat the furnace (laughs) yeah and we think you know light you think light and truth Mm -hmm. right right Right. And, and truth brings us back to kind of the divine side of things. Mm. I think, you know, I, so I explored that a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't know the answer. I don't know, but it was things that it was questions that came up and mm-hmm. going, Oh, this is interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if you've ever read the book, women, food and God by Janine Roth. And no, but I'll have to write that down. So it's good. It's great. It's, it's essentially book on emotional eating but one of the things she says that i'll never forget is that all roads lead to enlightenment so you might start with it just depends how far your teacher is willing to take you so if you're going to read a book on let's say weight loss and you're and you're sort of taking an emotional eating approach she's like this book will take you to god or to enlightenment because there's no, whatever your entry point, whether it's gut health, it can take you as far as, you know, to divine truth, <laughs> just like anything, you know, if you follow it farther enough. So it's really cool that you did that, that you didn't just stop at the research and what food should you take out and what food should you put in and the structure of the cells. You're like, well, how does this connect to the beyond beyond digestion like how does this connect to to the ultimate capital t truth of our existence and you know yeah in the in the dark hollow spaces of the body maybe yeah yeah it's like you know what's what's going on there um and look at things like vibrationally um what goes on because every cell in our body vibrates and looking at the vibrational frequency of what's happening there because we know there were so there was only one study and it wasn't very well done but um on um you know you can when you vibrate the body you change you change the microbiome you change how it works i'm like well that's interesting i think it's pretty not too many studies out there but okay moving on Mm -hmm. um you said something a minute ago i was just trying to pick up on it um as we were talking about the uh, yeah it'll have to come back mm-hmm. but you, know, you talk about the solar plexus and just that that whole that whole connection mm-hmm. and what's going on there oh i know 
because I was talking about, you know, the beginning of the book was very logical, yes. And then the second half of the book goes more into, you know, the right brain, more, in, more into exploring things. But also touching on in that bridge between the left and right, you know, that emotional synapse of cravings. That was something that you had mentioned because mm -hmm. um, food cravings and that type of thing. And I find often, you know, I have people coming to me and they're just like crazy, crazy uh, cravings, especially for sugar. Right. And we know sugar is more addictive than cocaine. Mm -hmm. the, the research proves that it is more addictive. It, it rewires your dopamine synapses in your brain. Mm -hmm. And it does that more strongly and, and um, than, than even even cocaine will do to the dopamines. Um, but we also know that the bugs in your gut can drive your mood and your behavior. I just posted there was an interesting um, researcher out of it was Ireland. I just posted this morning on LinkedIn. He's talking a little bit about that. But I talk about in my book, you know, and I see this a lot in clinics. People with sugar cravings often were thinking of the candida overgrowth. And I know that there was this big you know, wave that, oh, everything is candida overgrowth. You know, not necessarily. When you do the microbiome analysis, there's not always candida growing in there. It's not everything. But people who have really strong um, sugar cravings, it's, it's often pretty telltale. And as soon as you do the, the gut reset and work on balancing the microbiome, you often see the cravings go down. But it's a really tricky thing to do because these little critters really want sugar and they make you think that you need sugar. Like you are not going to survive in the next five minutes unless you have something really sweet mm -hmm. and that, you know, it's getting over that. So I'll use things like genema or inositol um, and then just a lot of other things. It was really interesting. I had a patient um, in, in the last little while and she, she was having issues with this and we were working on, you know, a lot of the gut reset, like the physical stuff, getting the microbiome rebalanced so that, you know, we have, you know, more healthy um, bugs in there and less of the, less of the candida or whatever. We should want to do a test. So I was just kind of um, going with symptoms and clinical aspects. And we got to a point where, you know, we we're bringing in the soul in again, because she was really disconnected. Um, I was just smelling a lot of shame. And I'm like, wow, there's, there's a lot of shame going on here. And, you know, so we, we brought shame out of the closet, you know, reading in Brene Brown's, you know, gifts of imperfection, you know, shame loves the high. It does not want to see the, the day of light. And when, um, you know, and according to like Richard Rohr reading on him, when you, sh in order to, to, to eliminate the darkness, you have to shine light on something. So shining light on the shame or bringing it out of the closet helps us um you know it, it goes away the darkness goes away mm -hmm. so you know going through and, and talking about you know what is the shame behind some of this because what was happening is that her soul was so hungry mm -hmm. and the message was going up and um you know her brain was going oh we'll eat a cookie right so she's she's you know eating cookies mm -hmm. but her soul's still hungry. Her soul doesn't want a cookie, mm -hmm. right? Her, her soul needs to, to create, to connect, to, you know, and as soon as, you know, so in addition to working on the physical stuff of the gut and the things that we know, the science of our plant medicines and probiotics and things like that, we're also working on that emotional side of things and the, the 
the emotion craving that, yes. oh, this isn't going to be satisfied with food. The answer isn't in the bottom of the bag of cookies or the barrel of ice cream. You get, you know, it's like that prize you used to get as a kid at the bottom of the cereal box, you know, <gasps> you can eat all the cereal to get to the prize. You know, you're eating all the cookies trying to get the answer to your problem. And then you're going like, well, wait, but the answer's not there. Yeah. But, you know, so it's just kind of going, oh, yeah. And then realizing what's going to satisfy people and then working on activities um, to satisfy that. Yeah. To, you know, whatever, whatever, the, you know, whatever the person needs in their life. Um, right. And, and recognizing and trying to work through is there shame there or if there's something that needs to be dealt with. Because often when that's not dealt with, other things come into play. So it's working on those things and appropriately using food to nourish our bodies in the sense that it was meant to, not to try to solve our problems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so many things there. And I think I mean, we, you started the conversation with that, with like, okay, so, you know, emotional cravings could be the cause of engaging in unwanted nutritional habits, let's say, but it could also be the microbiome or the physical cravings, like like a physical reason for the cravings. And how do you piece, how do you unwind the two? And then one can feed the other because Mm -hmm. emotional craving may, I always forget about candida overgrowth, you know, because I think we've been, (laughs) but I came, it came back to me over the last couple of weeks. I was like, candida, the friend was struggling with a bunch of things. And I was like, oh my gosh, you've got to cut sugar and do some antimicrobials. Um, but um, yeah, like these hollow space infections, like sinus stuff, vaginal infections, gut infections, like a lot of these like, like histamine stuff. I, I'm like, oh, okay, candida, could it be? Um, but also this piece of, yeah, I mean, eating to eating to serve the bugs in our gut which may be in in an imbalance but also eating to to feed our souls you know and you're like that's once we uncover that that's so helpful because i think what shame can do is keep us in a cycle of restriction and binging and restriction and binging because we feel shame for maybe emotional eating or succumbing to craving. So then we respond by restriction, which then worse, then creates an actual physical craving for food because you need nourishment and you're not going to have a chicken and salad. If you're hungry, if you're, if you're desperate for food, you're going to get the cookie, you know, it's you're, you're in an emergency now. So it's so complex and interwoven and it takes, you know, one to, I think it, it takes one to one work with a practitioner to really tease it out and really, understand it, have someone bear witness to it to say, smell shame. Let's let me help you pull that into the light. And shame, shame dies when you shine light on it, but also when you, when you shine light on it in the company of somebody like shame really thrives in isolation, you know? So. And it can thrive if you're sharing it with the wrong people too. Yes. Um, That's Mm -hmm. something Brene Brown had talked about as well. Um, that you, ha- you know, somebody has to earn your trust or, or earn that seat to sit in the role because it, it really just, as you said, needs a witness, not a, not a judgment seat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, somebody who's you on need- your side, you know, you're like, I'm not here to just take away your cookies, but I just want to find out like what's going on with you. I'm just sensing stuff. And yeah. 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 I'm- I'm curious too. I'm curious too about your story. Like you mentioned 
an interesting gut health because there was a personal story and just sort of your journey. And I think that's most of us practitioners that are drawn to specific focus because maybe we see it clinically, but often we, we, we're, we're trying to heal ourselves. We're trying to engage in the process to find the answer for ourselves or our families or something usually, you know, more personal, but maybe if you feel comfortable or whatever parts you feel comfortable sharing, like if you could sort of outline, like what's your gut health journey been like for yourself? Like, and I know that ND ship is your second career. So it's always an interesting story when you sort of, when you pivot and go through the grueling process of becoming an ND (laughs) when you already have a career. Yeah. For sure. I mean, things call us. Um, I think mine goes back a long time and you know, I suspect that, you know, I have some really strong, you know, kind of gluten intolerance. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if I have celiac because I stopped eating gluten and I never want to, you know, I'll, even if I get like a little bit that's by accident, it's not a fun experience. So I'm not wanting to eat it for, you know, seven days or more ahead of a test yeah. in order to test for it. It's just not of interest. Um, however, you know, even as a child, I had a lot of issues that would line up with, you know, gluten insensitivity, you know, like just small growth percentile, a lot of issues with my teeth and my teeth enamel, issues with um, constipation as a child, issues with, um, you know, when I got into um, puberty, um, delayed puberty, mm-hmm. and potential, potentially polycystic, thyroid issues, um, you know, just different things on the go, hormone imbalance. And I'm like, you know, this, where is this all coming from? And I didn't really know, like, I'm just, you know, you still unpack it years later. And as, you know, as we learn more as a generation over generation and the science starts to come out and you hear other people's stories, but I did some fitness competitions when I was in my teens and I'd always done gymnastics as a kid and loved to be active and, um, so this was just a way for me to stay healthy and do things. I had to stop gymnastics because my knees were sore and I couldn't do it. I had to stop cross-country running because it was either, you know, get surgery or don't run. So I said, oh, fine, I'll cycle because I don't want surgery. You know, the, you know, at 16, the idea of, you know, not exercising for, you know, not being able to be active for, you know, a couple of months just wasn't appealing to me. It seemed like forever. Yeah, right? totally. Well, especially if you're 16. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, oh, I'll cycle and I'll, you know, do some weights and things like that. So, you know, I learned how food affected your physiology. And it's like, wow. And also while I was on, you know, it was a diet and that time it was like really low fat, which, you know, hindsight, not all that healthy, but lots of protein, lots of vegetables and, um, you know, nuts and seeds and things like that. But, but there was no gluten, right? Um, because you weren't eating those types of carbohydrates. And I was like, wow. My brain, that's so clear. I can focus, right? And, you know, I just didn't know if it was a high from, you know, all of the exercise or, or what it was, you know. So then, of course, you go back to old habits and you finish competing and you go back to, you know, you know, eating a little more what you would say, quote, regularly. And then, you know, over the years, you're like, oh, this doesn't feel so good, right? So then after I had my, my kids, and well, that's just, you know, just for exercise, for, for a good exercise, let's let's do some competing again and to give us a focus. And I'm like, oh, wow, you know, this this is interesting. 
And then, uh, of course, you know, gluten tastes good, right? Like, <laughs> there's we can actually be addicted to gluten. There's something called gluteomorphins in it that we can be addicted to. And um, yeah, I think that's I think that's in my repertoire. <laughs> but um, but it was interesting because at CCNM, of course, very stressful program, and I'm commuting, you know, back and forth, and family and lots of things going on, you know, just personal growth and personal change and things going on there. And realizing like, oh, wow, like I had rashes and issues with my digestion and this mental clarity and thinking. So then I thought, oh, well, let's maybe go back to that diet again. Hmm. So it was kind of a slow, you know, and it wasn't like I would say evolution, not revolution. It wasn't like I quit overnight. No, I just started to wean it out and started to feel a little better. And then, you know, I had kind of got to a point where it was everything but the oatmeal mm -hmm. and uh, still had some rashes and things going on. And uh, that was it. But also, um, so then I took, took that out and the rash cleared up in a few weeks. But then even, you know, things in my digestion persisted after I graduated. And I remember standing in the kitchen counter, you know, chopping vegetables. And I felt like my knees were being sliced and, you know, my joints were really sore. And, and uh, so I, I did some testing and you know, it looked like probably a candida overgrowth. And I'm thinking, oh, well, based on my medications and based on my sugar cravings, this makes sense. But I didn't know much about it at the time. We didn't talk about it that much in school because mm -hmm. there had been such a craze on it. And, mm -hmm. and um, I think it was, you know, every, everything was being labeled, oh, it's candida. Well, it's not always. Um, and I'm like, oh, for me, maybe it was because I had a lot of other food sensitivities. And as you were talking, like histamine intolerances and things like that. Mm -hmm. So then I went on the journey, long journey of, you know, the elimination diet and eliminating things, food sensitivity testing and working through stuff and then working on the gut. Um, it's always been like a, a, a continual journey. Um, you know, perimenopause comes and you have extra stress on the body again, things kind of fall down as health wise. And then you're picking yourself back up again, but it's always kind of looking back at what's going on in the gut. So it's always been kind of friend or foe getting to know what's going on in there and trying to learn to take better care of that. Maybe I haven't done such a great job and now I'm learning how to do that better. Mm. It's like, yeah, the gut health is like the shift that steers you through school and having kids and perimenopause, like all the changes that are part of life. But you're like, if my gut health is steady and there's no leaks and there's no, you know, like issues with the rudder or the sail, like then I can kind of weather these changes and bounce back a little bit better, feel more resilient through the changes in the body. Um, yeah. And I love, I love your uh, gluten elimination story because I'm, I was the same. I mean, I needed to be convinced right, left and center from every angle yeah. internally to, to really remove it. Um, you know, I think, and it also started with a very restrictive, like, I think a lot of us will do something restrictive initially. So for me, it was like these shakes that they passed out at, um, uh, I don't know, it was some like lunch and learn, and they gave us these like shake detox things, and I did it. Um, and so obviously, super restrictive, it was like one meal a day and different shakes, and you feel better. And it takes a while to tease out what were the components that made me feel better? You know, it wasn't like you said, like your initial diet was low fat and you're like, well, it didn't really have to be so restricted with the low fat, but definitely the gluten was a key component to me feeling a big shift. And it's so much easier to just focus on 
not eating one thing than the whole meal plan and diet plan that you probably had to follow. Um, but yeah, I needed to reintroduce, <laughs> let's say, many times and feel crappy and repeat that process until until now I gen- genuinely can say I don't, I'm not tempted, you know, because I think the association that I've created of feeling crappy after having something with gluten is so tightly connected that it truly doesn't taste good. And I say that not from like, I don't even need to like consume gluten. It's more, it's like it just genuinely, genuinely, I just won't have pizza because it feels horrible. And I, and I, not everyone experiences that. So it may be more tricky, but it's useful. It's useful to understand that it won't be an overnight thing necessarily. And that if it isn't for you, if it's taking you years, then like when I was at CCNM for the first year, I was living with my grandmother who's Italian and she, I would come for lunch with a bucket of pasta. It was just pasta too, no protein, just like a bucket of pasta. And I'd be sitting there eating it. Like I don't need to be gluten-free. <laughs> Everything in moderation. I'm Italian, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm Italian. It doesn't matter that every Saturday I have a migraine where I can't function all day. I'm I'm cool. I'm bloated and um yeah, so we're all in a journey. So there's really, you know, no so sometimes, you know, if I'm working with a new patient and they're coming in and I sort of feel that an elimination diet might be helpful. And if they are ready to take it on in the first visit, that's a, that's a miracle because I was not that way. <laughs> so, so, so it's really, it's something remarkable when someone's like, just, okay, I'm ready. Take, take whatever you need from my life. Um, yeah. But is that when you're working with somebody with gut issues and you're working with the, with at the level of food, do you usually like, how does that, or is there a process that you have or is it more individual? Will you start to maybe do an elimination diet or is it more, you know, um, restoring nutrition density to food or like, is there a process that you work with? I usually look at where they're at, right? Cause you have to meet the patient where they're at mm-hmm. and finding out, you know, what you feel they might be ready for. Like to some people, you know, adding in vegetables is is a huge thing they don't they have a very um sensitive bitter receptor and vegetables taste bitter and they don't want them or raised with them so sometimes it takes a long you know you're just focused on just eat more vegetables if we're eating one cup a day let's try two or if we're eating none let's try one you know knowing that the goal is somewhere between six to ten maybe not every day but right, like it's okay. Yeah, we got our lofty goals, but if we're we're not going to get there overnight, so let's just do small incremental things. Um, sometimes it's doing the food sensitivity testing. Like I, the three tests that I would commonly look at are the Cyrix Array three um, to do to look at all the different components because gluten can affect more than just the gut. Sometimes there's no tummy ache. It can affect the brain more often than the gut. It can affect the skin. And the skin that you're in, the skin around organs, things like that, it can also affect um, the gut. So gut, brain, skin, and you know, like casings around organs, this can be it. But we, you know, so gluten is affecting more than than just the gut. Mm-hmm. And nobody has the enzymes to break down gluten. So we know that the solver often can be a common contributor. But if, so I do a food sensitivity testing. And then the more in-depth wheat testing and then maybe the microbiome. And I like the GI 360 um, because it does the PCR and the microbiome growth. Now, no test is perfect. You know, people can complain that these tests are, are 
inadequate or inaccurate. They only test for what they test for. Hmm. Right? They're going to test for what they test for. They're okay. You still have to look at the patient. You still have to work with them. So some people need those tests in order to go forward, in order to see what's going on. And others would rather work on listening to their body, right? Our body might be screaming at us, but it might be whispering at us too. So I often say if you're quiet enough in your own body, you can you, you know already what's going on. You already know what's bothering you. You mm -hmm. just, you know, you're either in denial or you're not listening. Um, and that's okay because I've been, I, I can be in denial. I can not listen. I can choose to not listen or I can be totally blind to, to the shadow of it. That can happen too. It's, it's all part of that continuum. So it's, it's not holding judgment. It's just whatever. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it might be writing down, you know, here's a di diet diary sheet, right? Write down what it is you're eating and when and what you're feeling like or how you're sleeping or how your bowel movements are. And no judgment, like don't, I'm not judging what you're writing down. This is just recording what it is you're doing. So you can see, you know, is there a cause and effect somewhere? So be truthful, be honest, right? So even in that people, as we know, as soon as we observe something, we change it. And this happens so strongly as soon as, you know, even in ourselves, if I have to write this down, I'm not going to eat it. Oh, right? so many times <laughs> patients say that. Yeah, they're like, I didn't eat a bunch of, or I've gotten, uh, which I thought was so cute and funny a patient it was like around the holidays and patient just wrote booze <laughs> like I'm not going to quantify it it's it was a holiday party oh yeah that's great yeah um but yeah a lot of people were like oh I thought if I have to write this down maybe I don't want to eat whatever the snack I wanted yeah <laughs> yeah so it changes but it's still effective in the effect that oh you thought twice about it and why did you think twice mm -hmm. was it because you thought it was not healthy was it because you know, if you ate it, it gave you a headache, right? Like mm. that type of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah it wasn't. So it wasn't so hard. It was just by shining awareness on it. You didn't want it anymore. So that's powerful. That's really powerful. And quite simple. Because there didn't seem like there was a struggle. If you just thought, oh, if I have to write, I'm not going to have it. So it's, it's easy. Yeah. You so know? it can be something as simple as that. Mm. So yeah. So it's varying degrees of of interaction with with an individual, but of the one to one that you do as an MD, you're looking at things holistically, you're looking at where everything is at, and that, you know, you know, zooming the camera lens out and saying, oh, what's the forest look like? Oh, I see a patch of trees over here that needs some attention. Let's go and look there, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 but always coming back out to that, that zoom, zoomed out feature as well, not forgetting to do that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so it can, it can involve testing, it can involve just self-reflection, um, you know, often you're looking at some course of supplements to reset the gut, but sometimes people, I don't want supplements. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Mm -hmm. So I had somebody like that and I'm like, okay. Um, but she was really adrenally depleted. I'm like, do you like the taste of black licorice? And she goes, oh, wow. <laughs> and hey, I'm like, okay, don't eat the black licorice. But I gave her a little, like a little 30 mil vial mm -hmm. of glyceriza, your black licorice plant medicine. And I just said, take 10 drops of this, you know, around 11 o'clock and around one o'clock. Mm. And she did that. And that helped even things out. Mm. And then she was in a place where she felt more, um, you know, more enabled to take on other challenges. Yeah. So I said, okay, let's, you know, and she was having some issues with fatigue and just not ever having enough energy. And you know, so it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, the common offenders, 
are sugar, dairy, and gluten, right? Those are the top three common offenders when it comes to food. It can be other things as well, but she didn't want to do testing and she didn't want any supplements. I'm like, okay, let's, um, you know, let's try gluten. Because she wasn't willing to give up her orange juice or other things. And I'm like, let's just try the gluten. So she was, okay, I can do that because it was food related. So she, I said, even just, you know, just try to dial it back. So, you know, try to do it through the week and then just maybe small quantities on the weekend or something. So like a 90, 10. Week. And she started to feel really good. And she's like, oh, I want to be gluten free all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she liked that idea of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her energy started to come back. So you saw some things and then, you know, her vitamin D was really low, but she didn't want to supplement. And I'm like, okay, I want you to, to look at, okay, here's some foods. And we know there's not a lot of, of vitamin D in foods that we take up, but here's some foods that have vitamin D in it. And here's how much we get out of the sunshine. I want you to tell me if you're getting enough mm-hmm. because she needed to be, she needed to be empowered. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, so then the next appointment, she comes back. And sometimes I find just 15 minute appointments after the initial couple of longer appointments, just 15 minute appointments every three to four weeks kind of keeps people mm. you can answer their questions you can keep them on track and she's like you know what i don't think i'm getting enough and i'm like okay so what do you think she goes i think i need to supplement mm. i said okay you can get stuff that's dropped it's not capsules or tablets and then you can just put on the back of your hand and lift off and it tastes like food yeah exactly so it was so yeah so it's stepping stones right evolution not revelation yeah we talk in. about this like i have a an episode that came out a couple episodes ago about um, sometimes the way that we maintain our personal power after we felt disempowered by clinical interactions with other practitioners is to reject everything. Like I have that where many patients um, will say, I don't want supplements, which is totally fine. I mean, there's, there's legit reasons for that, but sometimes it's because I've been convinced of putting things in my body that led to side effects that I wasn't properly informed about. Like I I didn't obtain informed consent. And so instead of sort of obtaining or knowing the questions to ask to get the informed consent I need, I'm just going to say no to all of it. My my best friend was like that for a bit. She was like, I, she's like, well, I I've, I've had all these medical interventions done on me from when I was a child. And so I don't want to just listen to a doctor. So there's sometimes this stuff, but I think, yeah, there's, that's the beauty for our medicine is we can work with a treatment plan could look like anything. And so we take the the preference into account for sure to help design it. And you can do it without supplements. You can do it without maybe without diet, but you can't do it without anything. You got to, you know, mm-hmm. even if you're like, okay, we're going to work with the soul. <laughs> we're going to work with you finding creativity and, and connection. Then maybe that involves more frequent visits. So, or, you know, so you're like, yeah, we, we can forego testing, but then we got to do this instead. We can forego nutrition, but then we got to do this instead. We can forego supplements, but then we got to do this instead. And then in some cases, we'll just just slowly, gently guide you in the direction of understanding that a supplement is probably the only way to go if you don't live near the equator and hang out on the beach all day, you know, in terms of vitamin D. Like if we're living in the Northern hemisphere in the winter time and not consuming like fish livers, you know, cod livers (laughs) all day long, we're probably not going to get enough D, you know? So it's good. Yeah. I love that approach. It's just super individualized and just rolling with 
a patient's needs, gaining trust slowly and helping somebody find what they need to feel good about their plan and their healing, you know, um, which is, you know, very different from a lot of people's experience, which is like, if you don't follow my way, you see someone else, you know, or whatever some people may do out of frustration, but. Yeah, it's really yeah. about empowering people and you know lifting them up power under i always say not power over mm. power under them mm. give them edu- education give, give them ex- education and experiences and um, excitement about the, um, the the changes that they're feeling mm. right mm-hmm. so and that that becomes motivating for them and empowering for them so mm. that they feel like because we live in our bodies 24 7. Right? Yeah. I remember numerous times going to going to doctors and um, explaining what I was experiencing. And they looked at me like I had three heads. And I'm like, why? Like, why would they do that? I'm like, I'm looking for answers. I'm explaining what I'm experiencing. I mean, I'm just telling you. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it was it was a, you know, it was a disappointing experience. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was thinking, I mean, I'm I have a Instagram post percolating in my brain about that. Um, but I'm trying to find the wording for it to make it not sound like I'm dismissing conventional medicine. But basically what I want to help people who've had that experience was like, I've had that experience, like I think most of us have, where we've gone to our our conventional system, medical doctors, nurses, and we've asked for help for things and been dismissed. And now with our education as naturopaths, we know why that happened. Like we know, well, I'm not going to go to my doctor for, um, you know, to tell them that I feel sad or depressed unless I'm prepared to receive a medication for those symptoms. Or, you know, I'm not going to go with normal blood work and a normal ultrasound. I'm not going to tell my doctor about my heavy periods because I, I sort of understand the limit to which these symptoms will guide me down a treatment journey that within the tools of the conventional system. And that what we experience as like one of my patients told me that she went to her doctor asking for blood work. Her doctor said, you don't need blood work. You don't need blood work to test your hormones. Your hormones are normal. And she said, but the last time I got my blood tested with my naturopath, it showed I had estrogen dominance. And as she said this, I was like suppressing a smile because I knew what what she's going to say next. And she goes, my doctor yelled at me (laughs) and I said yes because you have to understand that when you say you have estrogen dominance it sounds like you're saying that a fairy put a curse on you and so really we're what we're doing is just we're pushing the bounds of of someone's training and toolkit and if somebody came to me asking for like financial advice or how do I invest in the stock market and really tell you you need to help me you need to give me advice I would feel you know, there's a bunch of things you might feel, right? You might feel incompetent. You're at a loss to help somebody. You recognize you don't have those tools. And if you've been told that these are the tools, that there's nothing else, you might feel defensive or resentful or impatient, or you may dismiss the other person. Like, you know, like I'm an endocrinologist. Why are you coming to me with, you know, estrogen dominance? Like that's not a thing. So I think that's, you know, it's, I mean, we can see that and be like, oh, that, that makes sense. Like why your doctor would yell at you if you said you have estrogen dominance. I wouldn't ever say that to my doctor. Um, but it's hard to know because it's just your body and you're just like, you know, I'm here with, like I, I've been tired for six months and I don't know what it is and it doesn't feel like me. And 
and I'm, I'm here for help. And Josh was like, well, I guess you're just getting old. I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of dismissal. I mean, I, I don't, I would never bash the medical doctors because they have been so helpful to me over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a time and place for everything, but you're so right. Like, I mean, there's, they have a toolbox and their toolbox is, you know, yes, labs, imaging, mm-hmm. um, uh, drugs, right. Or referral to a specialist mm-hmm. or, that type of thing. And there are some fabulous clinicians mm-hmm. and, and medical doctors. And I mean, I wouldn't be here without them, literally. Mm-hmm. And so great respect. And they know they know a lot of things that, that we don't know. And they deal with a lot of things that we don't deal with. Mm-hmm. But at the same rate, um, we, we are in the realms of that holistic care and looking at a person as a whole and looking at, you know, how do we bring things back into balance? And sometimes the conventional system can can bring you to health, but you're not fully well. Right. And that was sometimes my experience. I was I was okay, you know, I was functioning and everything, but something just wasn't quite right. And I knew it because and it wasn't right. Right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's difficult to explain what that is. But then it was the holistic care that, you know, would help me. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that is important to to recognize that there's a time and place for everything and it's helpful in the fact that we can run blood work and comment on blood work but just you know tests only show what they test for and we know how strong plant medicines can work and we know a lot of drugs are based on plant medicines and they just take one constituent and then they amplify that constituent in the formula and create it synthetically what they lose is that wisdom of the plant Mm -hmm. And that balance of the plant, mm-hmm. which is when we're using our plant medicines, is so helpful. Yeah. The other constituents and, that play a huge role in balancing out some side effects of the act of the main one and synergizing the effect, like like you said, the wisdom that all is contained within the wisdom of it. And I think I think also of you know, sometimes you know you can just zero in on one thing and say, okay, here's the drug to fix that. But that wouldn't be any different than us thinking, oh, vitamin D is going to solve everything. Yeah, right? it's it's just a cog in the wheel, mm-hmm. right? It's an and there's an and and and, and we also know if we were just to give vitamin B in high quantities on its own, without the other B vitamins, well, it's going to put the other B vitamins out of balance, and that's not good either. You know, bees like to be together, mm-hmm. so we, you know, if we're doing the high dose B12, we got to be doing a B complex to balance mm-hmm. that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's taking. You know, it's taking those things into consideration. Too. Yeah, we we know conventional medical doctors don't have um, a ton, traditionally a ton of diet and nutrition therapy. So then they refer you to the registered dietitians, and they can be helpful in some circumstances. But in my experience, um, it, that wasn't helpful because it always was trying to bring you to that that food guide that included the gluten and things like that. And mm-hmm. for me, that for me, that wasn't a fit. Yeah, it felt it felt more like it was you were being um, d- 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 guidelines were being applied to you versus like an investigation into maybe there is a food that even though it's in Canada's food guide might not be right for you. You know, even though it's a whole yeah. food wheat, exactly. Thing. Like there's mm-hmm. plenty of you know there's great things about whole wheat, mm-hmm. but the fact that we don't have the enzymes to digest it, mm-hmm. um, nobody does. Mm-hmm. Some people get over it and can pass it. That's you know, yeah. But uh, for others, it creates a lot of inflammation. 
and it, it's so sprayed and like the glyphosate is just it's just bathed in it most forms of wheat most kinds of wheat that we're consuming yeah and it's yeah i think it, yeah i also want to say i mean like so let's say someone's experiencing a lot of bloating and diarrhea yeah go to your medical doctor because your medical doctor can run a workup to rule out some of the let's say to rule out some of the the big things you know whether it's um Absolutely. Or, or, or actually like a celiac workup can be really useful. And, you know, but then when you're sort of given a, there's nothing wrong with you, maybe that's when you can start to get a more holistic approach because your body tells you whether something, and it may not be wrong in the sense that like, you know, you have a disease or, but this, these are signals from your body that there's an imbalance and there's a lot we can do. Even uncovering vitamin D could be huge and you're right. It may not cure the person unless all their symptoms are low vitamin D, which sometimes happens, but it's very unlikely um, that that's the only thing. And, you know, and there's so many ways you can work with it. It can be labs, it can be supplements, it can be diet, it can be a combo, it can be soul searching, you know, <laughs> it can be a book. I had a patient. Yeah, it can be anything. Yeah, it can be a book. Um, <laughs> yeah. I had a patient come to me um, just after Christmas and she was having a lot of issues with a lot of gas upwards, like a lot of burping and belching. And, and, um, and then she also had bloody stool, right? She had tarry stool. And I'm like, okay, um, I, I appreciate you coming to me first, but you need to get some imaging. Mm -hmm. And she has had like symptoms of dizziness and just some really extreme things going on. And I'm like, this isn't quite right. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was a little uneasy prescribing anything orally until I knew that, you know, do we have ulcers? Do we have colitis? Do you know, what do we, what are we, what are we dealing with? Do we have pancreatitis? Is there something going on here? And so it was like, okay. So she went to her family doctor and they said, okay, da da da. And you'll have a specialist appointment and it'll be there. But then her symptoms started to get worse. And I'm like, you got to get yourself to the ER because when you go to the ER, they will do all these tasks, you know, to rule things out. And Quite frankly, if 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 there's you know if you're bleeding in the gastrointestinal tract, this is serious, mm -hmm. and we're not going to wait. Mm -hmm. So go and figure it out. So she went, she you know done all the tests and stuff, um, and everything. Thank goodness came back negative, um, and some of her things that were off in her blood work did normalize. So then I was okay. Now we can start thinking about handling things, and we did some. It ended up being acupuncture, and she did go on um, some. They gave her some proton pump inhibitors, which seemed to be helpful, but it wasn't enough. Hmm. Uh, we did a food sensitivity test and we were able to identify some things that might've been in the foods that she was getting through takeout, mm -hmm. um, that type mm -hmm. of thing. And then the acupuncture, getting that energy going in the right direction, mm -hmm. right? Because the energy was all coming up, should have been going down. Mm -hmm. And so some of the stress component going on in it. So working through the acupuncture side of things. And then we added in a Chinese medicine herb that, um, really help balance the liver, spleen, pancreas, you know, mm -hmm. you know stress access. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because because we see that. So it, yeah, and that was a, a prime example of I need I needed that conventional med medical um component to it. Mm -hmm. you know, that's, I a, have, that's a good point. Like you don't need to wait, I needed it. Yeah. And yeah. good for patients to know, because I think um, sometimes we can be painted with this idea of like, oh, if it's not serious, you're a naturopath. But an ND in 
in Ontario and various other provinces that are regulated are able to to triage and rule out and find red flags. And we can't do the investigation referrals ourselves, but we can refer you to your family doctor to get some investigation done. And even if you do have a diagnosis or something more serious, um, and you know, and and it's you know, and there's a treatment plan in the conventional system, whether that be surgery or medications, um, that we can also work alongside you and your conventional plan. So there's really a place for a naturopath in the whole, in every, in various scenarios, you know, whether you're told nothing's wrong with you, but you still don't feel well, or whether you find out that there's something going on and, and there's a treatment plan for you in the conventional system, we can still help you because you still could benefit from, yeah, bringing some energy down with acupuncture, from managing the stress response, from healing the gut, from being a bit more specific with the foods you're eating. And there's like a whole bunch of stuff that can go overlooked, you know, that are, that are that is in our toolkit so it's great yeah, the body's screaming it's giving out six stress response signals yeah. it's interpreting what those are right right and and sometimes we don't find out what it was a person gets better and we don't really know exactly what was going on but mm -hmm. they're they're feeling well <laughs> um, and their blood work is looking better so you're going okay we didn't know exactly what it was and that could be really frustrating mm -hmm. not knowing what something is sometimes a label is is really satisfying yeah but the label is not necessary to always you know not always necessary to um to work with an individual although it can be helpful mm. but sometimes we know labels can be mis misapplied so, so we have to be aware of that yeah and sometimes labels can get in the way of healing somebody says i am this yeah right i i um i have chronic fatigue they're not willing to let that go they're not willing to to know that maybe that maybe that's because something's going on in the gut, and if I feel that, I might not have that anymore. Yeah. And it, you know, maybe they had it for so long, it's difficult for them to take off the lens through which they look at the world through the chronic fatigue glasses. Yeah, right. It's true. Yeah, it's and true. That, I mean, in in some sense, it can be very empowering and validating, but then in other ways, can be disempowering. And it's yeah. We uh, we label people with caught with at our peril, right? We're at caution with caution, and I think, I mean, when I was on my health journey before becoming an ND, I just I wanted someone to just tell me what was going on, but everybody was saying it was fine, it was fine, it was fine. So if someone had said you have diabetes or hypothyroidism, I was I would have been that's what I was looking for. I wanted them to just tell me what it was, um, but I didn't want those things, you know. So as long as I had been validated and told that there is a solution and that, and that what, there is something going on and there's a solution for it, or we can help with it. That would have been, that would have felt good. You know, I didn't need to have a disease, but at the time I was seeking a label. I wanted them to find something, you know, to legitimize okay. what I was feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You're looking to validate your experience. Mm -hmm. Um, but the nice thing about, you know, when somebody comes to a naturopath is, is we, we, we tend to be good listeners and people need to be heard and they need to be seen and they need to be acknowledged. And sometimes in that experience alone can be very mm. helpful. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because sometimes you just need to talk out loud to somebody and have them reflect. Yeah. And that can be helpful.
And then you're zero in on, oh, well, maybe this little thing to pivot here mm. might get us going you know, back on track. Because we're really always just trying to get back to, our body's always just trying to get back into balance. Mm. Sometimes, you know, we get off balance. And sometimes we get way off balance. Mm. It's just bringing back to back to center. Kind of like, you know, what we're going on is, you know, you're, with the macro, there is micro. Um, and where there's micro, there's macro. We look at that in society and just kind of, you know, COVID has forced us all to be a little more yin mm. right mm. we were so yang 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 and now this is forcing some yin it's, it can be pretty uncomfortable and until we allow the flow of the yin mm. um we're not going to fully embrace what this has to teach us yeah mm -hmm. uh, just to find you know like yes COVID is real and, and there's lots of other things to do with it but for, you know for those that are staying at home and that there's something else to be you know gleaned from it. Mm -hmm. what, can, what can we learn from it? What can we learn from it? What can, how can you apply it to to um, make it better, make your life better from it? Mm. It's the metaphorical and figurative and, and literal cleaning out your closet. Like we're all, okay, it's a good time to do some spring cleaning on my house now, but then also the internal place, right? Where you're like, a lot of this stuff gets pushed aside because we don't have time to deal with it in our young, 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 busy lives. And now there's a chance for it to potentially come to the service, you know, and, and less opportunities to distract it or to distract ourselves from it. Um, yeah. A lot of things are distractors, right? Like we, we mm -hmm. choose to be busy because we don't want to deal with it. Oh, I have this I need to do. Mm -hmm. okay. I choose to do that. You know, it's funny, like it's sometimes, oh, I have no excuses left. I really, this needs to be worked on. But it can make you feel really uncomfortable because you don't, you know, you don't want to face what's what's in there. There's an emotional attachment to it. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it can be hard. It's, it's not always easy. No. Okay. Yeah. You know, if somebody else walked along going, well, that's just easy. That's garbage, right? Mm -hmm. But you're looking at it and, and there's there's emotional value there that's that you've vested in it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I mean, I deal with that, you know, letting things go can sometimes be really challenging. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's hard. And yeah. Think of that with constipation. Are you letting <laughs> things go, right? This is, you know, you yeah. bring in the Chinese medicine aspect. Yeah, that's my favorite one is, yeah, like what's, what are you having trouble letting go of when you have yeah. trouble letting go of your poop or when your body's not, not moving it through? Yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, I wonder if, yeah, just doing a closet cl cleaning can help to, well, it does because you, you're reminded of things, you look at things, you see stuff you haven't used in a while, but that you remember, so you know, it was taking up mental space and energetic space, and then wonder if that can help constipation. That's the whole gut uh, world interface where you're like, you know, letting go of things mentally, emotionally, or even physical objects may help with constipation. Yeah, sometimes maybe, it maybe. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no guarantee, but it's a pot. It's there's this connection. Yeah. There. yeah. It might help. Right. It might yeah. help. There could be other things going on. Right. Yeah. Just like a, abdominal exercise or like to build more fire in the solar plexus might help with digestion, but we don't know. It's, you know, yeah. I feel like there was, um, yeah, like I guess on the realm of the, of the gut reset. So you're, you're sort of working with food, you're working with um, herbs and things like that to just shift the microbiome. Again, is that more of that individual practice where you're, 
you're you're seeing you know where the patients at and you're starting to work with those things or was there any like any pearls or anything like that that you'll implement um i mean there's things that i'll use and tools that i'll commonly go to and i find that usually you're looking at at least a three-month program Mm -hmm. and you're layering and you're changing things up right because you're trying to balance the microbiome and the antimicrobials are a little more gentle i think in the sense and also more inclusive because they're um, balancing the yeast imbalance if it might be there as well whereas an antibiotic like a prescription antibiotic um, wouldn't touch the yeast Right. And then you tend to have the overgrowth of yeast. Right. Um, so we're looking at our antimicrobials that are plant-based, but because you know, say Ulu Ursi, you know, goes after these types of you know bacteria, but then we need you know maybe some black walnut to look at parasites, and maybe we need you know some you know oregano or peppermint oil to help with the small bacterial stuff, and so sometimes it's layering in. So we're not always doing, oh, let's just, you know, same pill for everybody. You know, I like berberus and citricidal with the vitamin A and zinc and making sure we got vitamin D in there, making sure we have magnesium to, to help with, um, help process, right? Magnesium is responsible for over 300 things in our body, lots of detox support. So that helps some of the die-off reactions if we have a good um, uh, magnesium. So some, maybe we're doing that type of thing. And, you know, so we're putting the herbs and citricidal, kind of doing that for some for some weeks. And then maybe we're switching it up and doing um, a formula that has the black walnut and the, um, you know, the oregano oil or the, the, the clove oil or things like that. If it's, mm-hmm. you know, if you have an elderly patient or a child, the peppermint oil made, you know, enteric coated peppermint oil, maybe that's enough. Mm-hmm. If they have a very sensitive, gentle, fragile system, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we're looking at Boswellia. You know frankincense for people with colitis mm-hmm. and helping you know put that into remission you know if they're dealing with something like that um always looking at ways to you know re-inoculate and, and getting that circadian rhythm you know half the day we're looking at you know killing things off and the other half of the day we're looking to re-support some protocols would do like a five-day kill and a two-day build I like to do a 12 hour to go more with a biurnal rhythm. Mm. I don't, that just came from um, my gut sense that that was a good idea mm-hmm. and it seemed to work. So I just kept doing it. Right. So I try to keep the antimicrobials one half the day and the building the other half the day. But then what else are we doing to help heal the gut? Do we have, you know, is it safe to take vitamin A? Is it, you know, how much zinc? Vitamin D. Okay. Two baked apples a day. Um, slippery elm, do we need some slippery elm in there or marshmallow root mm-hmm. or, you know, other types of things that might heal the gut? Are we dealing with diverticulosis or diverticulitis? And there's some things that we can mm-hmm. do there. Is the liver overtaxed? Do we need to support the liver? Because we know non-alcoholic fatty liver disease is often the reflection of what's going on in the gut, right? You get the overgrowth of the gram-negative bacteria, off-gassing too many lipopolysaccharides. Now, lipopolysaccharides are good in small quantities that help us regulate our melatonin in our in our our sleep rhythm but too much is mm-hmm. very inflammatory and it causes all sorts of things and what gets hit first that portal vein the liver mm-hmm. yeah and like lps and like, could be good from some microbes but not others and there's like yeah like a, there's yeah. yeah 
Mm-hmm. So balance, you know, getting the right balance of stuff going on there. Um, so you know, the gut healing. So you're looking at, you know, the you know the classic weed, the classic feed, and then the healing, mm-hmm. you know, providing, and then the you know, and then kind of yeah, the seed, you know, and layering <laughs> that, and then and then what are you doing? What are you doing? To, you know, as an ongoing maintenance, what is required? What's in your toolbox? Because I find different people. I mean, each of our microbiomes is different. We don't know what a perfect microbiome looks like. Mm-hmm. We're all chemistry, you know, mm-hmm. different. Mm-hmm. So what might work for one may not be right for another. So it's it's kind of finding what might be best for that individual based on their genetic profile, their you know their symptoms, their signs, what they've been diagnosed with, um, what the research says, what the science says, and finding you know some people with colitis. Some patients with colitis do really well with Boswellia and just keep the Boswellia at a good dose and that keeps them in remission. And if they do that with some Saccharomyces boulardii and maybe um, another multi-strain probiotic and, you know, and then maybe some fish oil and maybe some vitamin D, and that's, that's kind of their toolkit. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people that may choose to take the monoclonal antibody injection. Maybe they're doing that. That's helping keep them in remission. But then if they happen to get a flare, they know that it, they can reach for the SACBI and the Boswellia and bring that on, you know, as soon as they start to recognize something's off and teach them to learn, listen to their body. What are those initial signs that the body is giving them? Start, you know, have that in your toolkit so they can just start it right away and, and have, you know, pull those tools out of the toolbox. So some things aren't, aren't forever. I mean, there's a time and a place. And then sometimes, you know, oh, Here's my toolbox. I can pull that out. Mm. It's, it's beautiful, right? Like I love all this because first of all, you know, when I ask, I'm always curious, like how do other practitioners approach things? Because it's it can seem so, I don't want to say messy, but it's complicated. Like it's it's a ball of yarn and you're like pulling from things. You're like considering the, the portal vein and LPS and what are the levels and what's actually going on. So what's the actual diagnosis? That's relevant because it will tell us sort of what's, going on? Is it inflammatory? Is it an imbalance? Is it motility? And where, what are all the moving parts? What are the best ways to address it? So obviously the patient in front of you is going to make all the difference because if that person would rather go a diet route or a supplement route or do the testing, it's going to completely change how you approach it for first steps and consideration of what what herbs work against what bacteria or what are the broad spectrum herbs or what are we going to pull in if we suspect parasites and, you know, what are the maintenance protocols? What are, how do we address um, gaps in medical treatment? You know, like monoclonal antibody therapy, it's not covering, it's not suppressing all your symptoms. So how do we bring in some other anti-inflammatories or manage the immune system? And I think that's so beautiful because that's really what a naturopath's brain is doing all the time. And I, I, you know, I'm sure you've been asked questions by people who have maybe found you online or found you on social media who sort of say like, well, what do you think of oregano oil, (laughs) you know, or what about bananas Are bananas good for you? And when we say it depends, I, I feel an energetic, like, vacuum where people just sort of move away like oh, okay you're not going to help me but it's not that we don't want to help first of all we're not maybe legally allowed to tell you if you should eat a banana or not and, you know if you if you get down to it we have to really see you as a patient and make individual recommendations take your case 
but it's a process to get to to figure it out in a plan creation involves a million moving parts you know like we you probably sit down before you're making one and you sort it out and you we have different practices of like mind mapping things and understanding how it starts or maybe we just pick a place to start like maybe you start doing antimicrobial herbs and you see how someone improves or doesn't improve or partially improves and go from there so there's like it's such an art you know and that's beautiful i love how you threw in all your like pieces and probably when you were writing your book, you were like, okay, how do I bring in this part? And oh, what about Chinese medicine? But oh. this <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the months of editing, right? Because, <laughs> you know, you just try to get everything all out. You're literally, and it's funny because through the, um, through the writing process, the initial writing is that you just write and you don't look back. And guess what they call it? The vomit draft. <laughs> yeah. You are just like literally like throwing everything up on the paper and getting it out and yes. then you take the pieces of the moving parts and you organize them and then you create you know some kind of continuity through it mm -hmm. and i you know i tried to do to try to do it so that we go through the physical the emotional the cognitive and the spiritual kind of in that order peeling back the layers of the onion pausing in between each chapter to give people a chance to literally digest what they've just read mm -hmm. and a chance to reflect on what's going on but then realize at the end of the book, as I'm sharing patient stories and sharing my own story, kind of interweaved into that, how much the gut is truly knitting us together. But then we are always peeling our onion. We're never finished. This is our journey. This is why we're here. Mm -hmm. We don't, I don't think any of us ever reaches, you know, actualization or, you know, that, you know, that, you know mm -hmm. that's, 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 that's not in this life. Mm -hmm. The nirvana. This is our Mm -hmm. yeah that we it is the journey right it's the journey we're on a journey and that's the that's the fun part that's the important part and it's our experience throughout that that's important uh, not the arrival right mm -hmm. not, not the arrival and so it's sometimes and for me it was accepting well this is my journey mm -hmm. and maybe i won't arrive to have to be able to go out and eat a pizza with a you know like, but maybe if I ate that pizza, I, it wouldn't taste the same. Or I wouldn't want it because right? I'd be going, no, that's not me anymore. It's not who I am. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, that's just as an example. But um, so it's the journey. We change. Mm -hmm. But we're meant to change. We're meant to change and grow. And it's okay. It's not a, it's, And sometimes we do have things that, that were imperfect, but those, those things can be gifts. And those things can help us help others through their journey. And um, it just, you know, it's just a part of who we are. But it doesn't have to mean that we can't evolve and, and grow and let things go. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's yeah. just, you know, it's letting go of that attachment to the outcome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, uh, Which can be hard. Just allowing it. Yeah. Like when you have a goal, like I want this symptom gone can be hard to let go of the attachment to it. But the the journey metaphor, we, I mean, I feel like I overuse it, but it's like, there's no better metaphor because it is like, you're never arriving. And that's sort of just the way it is. Like there's never, a there's no perfect final state of health. And, you know, there's no balance. There's only balancing. We're always, our microbiome's constantly shifting. So are you ever just like, stop right there. 
that was perfect. This is right. Because <laughs> yeah. then you eat yeah. some oats and then it shifts again. And then it, then it, then you have a diet Coke by accident because you're, I don't know, you just need something and then it's going to shift. And then you have some broccoli and, and it's just, you're constantly in a dance and dances are beautiful. We, you know, we don't want to go to a, I don't know, dance recital and just have everyone standing there. You want to see movement. You want to see motion flow. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if we're making more choices that, um, that put us, put us more in that flow, then that, that's good. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. We're always moving. So there's always in, in, I don't know though, even improvement might be, undermining it like I guess there's always improvement but there's you're always different you know like I think I'm running my foundational program right now and I was like what would success mean I mean our people are going to take this and think that they need to consume and digest all of it and that six and then succeed in some way and I'm like if you listen to one lecture and you understand that fats aren't bad for you and you thought that before that's amazing. That's an amazing win that you'll take with you for the rest of your life. If you've learned that you can eat eggs and it's not going to raise your cholesterol or whatever, that's wonderful. So it could be one small piece that's that's all you can take in for this program or all you you know you want to take in or whatever it is, and that's enough. That, that's totally enough. And you know, yeah, we put things out there and it, take what you need, right? Yeah. Take what you need right now, and it's just like a buffet. Exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't put don't yeah. put too much on your plate. Yeah. <laughs> take what you need. Take what you can digest right now. And if what you need it, like sometimes I'll get, you know, you have stacks of books, and it's like, oh, I didn't read all that one, but it's like, did I take what I needed right now? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can come back to it later. Yeah. And, and how many? And times I say that up front. Yeah. Like, sorry. Yeah. And I say that up front in my book. I'm like, just take what you need from this. Like I'm presenting this stuff. You, you may, like, as you said, you may need to learn that fats aren't bad or mm-hmm. your eggs don't necessarily, you know, reflect your cholesterol levels in your body. If that's what you needed to learn right now, then you've got what you needed. Mm-hmm. There's more in the book for later if you want to come back to it. Mm-hmm. There's more in your program for later if they need to come back to it. But if that change made their experience in life better, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. then it's accomplished something. And then it's, then you're good. Yeah. It was a yeah. success. Yeah. Yeah. How many times yeah, how do you, you pick up a book again, read it again? You're like, oh my gosh, where was I when I read it the first time? I didn't take half of the things I'm like absorbing now with maybe some extra life experience or some different context, or maybe I'm paying attention to the words in a different way that wasn't available Absolutely. to me 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Laura. Any last thoughts? Any last things you want to end off on? Oh, no, I just want to thank you, Talia. It's been a pleasure. Really great to see and and chat with you. Sit down, have a cup of tea on a Monday morning. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 After coffee. Well, I guess we're just having water, but that's wholesome, right? (laughs) That was so wonderful. Thanks so much for chatting. And I'm going to grab a copy of your book and read it i should have done it before the interview but it sounds so good and congrats on that it's a wonderful accomplishment it was yeah it was a learning experience and i'm sure there's there's plenty more in our paths you know we've always got to be learning and creating i think 
Yeah. Creativity. I think creativity is so important to longevity and, and mm-hmm. just keeping us, keeping our fire burning. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you'll, you'll probably pick up your book in 10 years and read it and be like, wow, I totally forgot I wrote that. <laughs> Happens to me with old blog posts. I'm like, whoa, that sm- sounded smart. <laughs> You're like, oh, that was so true that I, yeah. <laughs> That's, That's so true. Funny. There's, I mean, there's things that I go back. What did I say there? I know I wrote something about that. Let yeah. me look at it. You know, it's just like, oh yeah, that's good, right? Because it's, it's. There's tons of detail there. But, yeah, uh, but it's true. It's like we're dynamic beings. But you have a book. You have this, this artifact. This thing that kind of contains all of it, and and it contains a journey of you in the gut doing an exploration together, which is really cool. Yeah, and I mean, and patience too. I didn't want it to be like all about me because that's really boring but mm-hmm. you know the patients bring so much richness to it and i'm ever grateful for what they offer and allowed me to share oh, yeah. that's so great yeah that's awesome yeah to read patient stories is really powerful because then you can see yourself in those stories and it gives you hope it gives you connection validates you so that's yeah i always look for that yeah, we're not alone yeah okay. we're not alone and and you know you read a few patient stories but you know the, the sad thing is is that so many people have these stories yeah and they could be anybody yeah exactly yeah yeah people with chronic disease people with autoimmune disease you know think of diabetes and you know just issues with with um metabolism disorders hormone just hormone imbalances gut irritable bowel inflammatory bowel those types of things yeah um but, you know, somebody asked me on one podcast, you know, who is this book for? And I'm like, anybody with a gut. And I'm just like, oh, that was so lame. But I mean, it is true. I mean, I had some friends read the book and comment on it going, you know what? I don't really have any issues, but I learned that I could eat more vegetables. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's great. Mm-hmm. Right. You took what you needed. You took what you need. Yeah, exactly. You learn that your gut has a circadian rhythm. Who doesn't, who doesn't need that information? Everybody needs <laughs> It's such a cool. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's. Or that 1% of your DNA lives in your physical, like Talia or Laura self, you know? So you've brown eyes. Yeah, that's like a tiny fraction of it. The rest of it is in your gut microbiome, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, yeah, your microbiome is, is, your, is on your skin, in your eyes, in your nose, yeah. you know, in your vaginal tract, in your bladder. And, you know, is it also in your brain, right? Is it also in your liver, in your heart? Oh, maybe we have a microbiome everywhere. Everywhere. And I think, yeah. And, yeah. Maybe and you don't have a microbiome. Could, maybe your microbiome has you. Well, we could be microbes having a human experience. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, they're just sort of like wearing a meat sack, an avatar. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. Thank, uh, you. thank you so, so much. Fun. Yeah. <laughs>